0: talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk. It's the Rants with Doug LaMaurice Maurice from Cleveland.com. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Sorry, uh, it's late again on this Wednesday. Had some shifts with the college football survivor show that uh, sort of changed my schedule a little bit. We like to get this to you Wednesday morning instead of getting it to you Wednesday afternoon. And there are two things I really wanna talk about here. This is rants, 161 I went through from our loyal tech subscribers, uh, excited. We're, I'm seeing some people saying first time ranter, first time texter, just join the texts. If you wanna be part of it, 614-350. 3315. You can sign up there. You get a two-week free trial. Then you can see if you want to stick. But that's how you get to participate in the ranch. You get to send stuff in. I ask for your opinions on Ohio State football, National College football, life in general. We have something about McDonald's birthday parties on this one. And apples tasting good. But the two main things I want to talk about are a continued run game discussion that I want to drill down on without driving us nuts. I have a stat that I think will help us. And I have noticed this. The thing I want to end with on this pod is sort of the happiness of Ohio State fans. And this has been an ongoing thing through the course of this season. And maybe it's because I'm just more aware of what loyal, educated, dedicated fans are thinking. Because we have such good interaction with our texters. Or maybe it has changed a little bit. But I do get a decent amount of people when I call out for these rants, and again, rants, it's not, hey, send what you feel happy about. There's a tinge to it. It's a little tinged. People are not that happy. There, are Some Ohio State fans are not that happy in the midst of a season like this. They feel angst. They feel stress about the looming Michigan game. They feel anxiousness whenever Ohio State doesn't play up to its own standard. And then I also get a lot of rants of people of saying, why are people like that? It's too toxic to other people are like that right That's like an effect you see in politics. I'm not I don't think this but I think my neighbors think it. So some people are saying they feel this sort of toxic is a word that comes up a lot whether it's toxicity or angst. There are people who say I feel this in the midst of this undefeated number two in the nation season and there are other people saying, I see people feeling it and I don't like that part either. And I think there is something, this is again, my uh, views evolve. I I think your views evolving sometimes like too, too often we say, if you change your mind on something, you're a flip-flopper. I think views evolving is good. because you take in more information? And as you take in more information from the world around you and you interact with more people, maybe your views on things change. And my view on something has changed. And I think we're going to be saved. I think college football is going to save Ohio State fans from their angst, from their from the potential. Not, I don't think you possess the toxicity. I think some people think it's there. You're fans. You love a thing. That's what makes it fun. Loving something is fun. Having passion about something is fun. Loving it so much that it gives you a knot in your stomach f- five months out of the year is not as fun there's still fun in that it's not as fun so i want to get to that at the end because i've really come around on something there we have a bunch of other stuff in the middle 161 i did my best but i want to dig into this and the run game and what should be happening and there's a specific thing that i think really is the issue here and a lot of the other stuff is not as much the issue from the 615 I think it's time to stop expecting Ohio State to be able to overpower anyone in the run game and to be an effective short yardage team. It's time for Day to accept that and throw the ball to set up the run. I think this team is the Kansas City Chiefs of college football. And it's time to let Stroud throw the ball 40 or 50 times a game. That Chiefs comparison got me thinking. And I looked something up and we'll get to it in a second. From the 361, I think toughness and run game focus is overrated. Ohio State needs to embrace and overwhelm teams with their quarterback, their pass blocking on the O-line, and their receivers. The template is the Joe Burrow LSU team and not the 2014 Ohio State team. That LSU team was not loaded with pros on D, just blitz teams with the pass and force them to keep up. Also, hope for no more gale force win games. Embrace who you are. Not that toughness is meaningless, but... It's not maybe the way some people are thinking about it. From the 708, here's a rant on the Ohio State toughness conversation. Ohio State does not have a toughness issue. I re-watched most of, the, most of those failed short yardage plays from the last game. And most really are scheme, too many guys to block. Or Matt Jones, Matt Jones, the right guard, being a step slow to block. A linebacker, of course, Cade Stover, got thrown to the ground was on one of the plays or Mayan Williams got stuffed in the hole by an unblocked defender. That also happened, but I don't think anybody will say those two aren't tough. Stover and Mayan, the toughness conversation lack, lacks nuance and needs to be done with. Okay. I think, I think that is interesting. Um, here are a couple other side issues about Ryan day. This is Colin in Boston. It's time for Ryan Day to give up play calling. The job of head coach is too expansive for him to be able to run the program effectively while also knowing the perfect play in every situation. Something has to give, and right now the offensive game plan is suffering. This is why it takes too long for Ohio State to adjust within the game. Day is doing too much. There is no super team this year. The title is ripe for the taking. Um, So if this set of offensive talent, which Day assembled, doesn't win at all, the only person to blame is the head coach and play caller. So that is an issue. Maybe that all, again, this toughness, play calling, run game stuff is all connected. This is Colin in Tampa from the 727. Ryan Day is a bully. He beats up on weaker opponents and looks like a genius while doing so. But anytime he faces a talent-equated team or a team that shows any pushback, he puckers up and his play calling becomes stale and predictable because he is afraid. So I I, I So let me do the play calling thing. He's not going to give up play calling. I thought this was an issue a year ago. He needed to do something. And I didn't know if it was he becomes more of a CEO and gives up some of the direct play calling, but they went the other way. He still leaned into the offense and he hired a head coach of the defense. So I thought he had too much on his plate a year ago. I agree with that. But he cleared his plate by handing over the defense. He didn't clear his plate by giving up offensive play calling. And I know that there's just sort of a thought within that building that that's his specialty And why would you not have the guy do the thing that kind of got him the job in the first place? And I debate this with myself a lot in regards to the NFL and Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns. I think it's a similar situation with Ryan Day. I go back and forth on this. I think a lot of us, we don't like the head coach with his face buried in a play sheet on the sideline. Like, hey, you're coaching a whole game. Why is your face in a play sheet? But I just don't think that's where we are. I think they have made a decision. And by the way, having Kevin Wilson there as someone who has been a head coach, who has been a play caller at the highest level, Northwestern Oklahoma, head coach at Indiana, for him to be sort of like not the play caller, but he's your offensive coordinator and he's part of that, that is super high level. It is hard to get a guy, I think, as high level as Kevin Wilson and not just hand the play sheet to him. So the fact that he exists, yes, Ryan Day is is the play caller on Saturdays and is first up in the meeting. He does have, I think, more support there than most other people in that situation of a head coach being a play caller. So I do think that matters. I understand why you're ranting about it. I just don't think it's going to change. And I do think the idea of like Ryan Day hasn't won games against teams of equal talent. I think what they did against Clemson in 2020 pushes like refutes that, not pushes back, refutes that. To have that game where in 2019, they were as good as Clemson, they didn't win, they're mad all year, they play Clemson in 2020, and they beat them. They go avenge that game against another very good Clemson team. I I think you can't ignore that, right? So, and then, you know, there's been some pretty good Michigan teams, but I I don't think that's quite where we are with this stuff. There's some trust with this team that I also want to talk about. This, I think, is the overriding thing. Hey, guys, I have a rant. It's Xander from SoCal. I am not sure whether I should trust this team or not. On one hand, they have played awesome at times. and On the other hand, the Buckeyes have stalled out and would have lost uh, if they were playing a better team than they were in certain weeks. I'm just not sure if they have what it takes to get over the hump, at least not how they are playing now. That's Xander from SoCal. Love the pod, as always. I think that is the nut of the entire conversation. I'm I'm dancing around a little bit. I thought this was all one thing. It's kind of not. Trusting this team is the whole thing because where we are, where all 161 of you who are sending rants and the other hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are part of the text and the thousands and thousands of people listening to this, I think that's what we're all thinking and talking about. Can you trust them? Because you get to this point in the season and there's an idea of you guys care about Ohio State. You have passion for them. That's your number one thing. But you also kind of want to be right. And certainly, you know, when you're a reporter and you cover the team, you kind of want your view to wind up being correct. Like, yes, I had a handle on this. I'm paid for this and I was good at it. And I'm paid for this and I get stuff wrong all the time. So sometimes it's nice to be right. And I think that the debate right now is, do you trust them or not? And that's going to be borne out by what happens against Michigan. That's the entire conversation. And so people who are very anxious about the Michigan game, I think you are preparing yourself smartly. All right, prepare for the worst, expect expect the worst, hope for the best. Prepare for the worst, hope for the best, right? Good way to go through life. So you're preparing for the worst, which is, man, this could be really tough against Michigan. So in that way, you're not trusting them. Right now, But then there's certainly people who are like, listen, Michigan's good, but man, it's Ohio State. They're going to be fine. And you are trusting them. And then maybe in the Michigan game, it's like, what was everybody so worried about? Ohio State's the better team. And they took care of business. And what happens on Saturday, every Ohio State fan wants Ohio State to win on that Saturday and last Saturday in November. But you're also like preparing yourself for what you think is going to happen. And there's a part of you that wants to be right. So the trust is such, is just the thing. And everybody who's ranting and texting about the Northwestern game, it's all about whether your trust was affected by that game. Was it a one-off? Was it a signal? Was it a windy day? Was it an indication, right? Because that's the thing. Alabama plays a rough game, but they're playing LSU on Saturday, they lose. Clemson plays a rough game. Get dominated, they're playing a better team. They play Notre Dame, who Ohio State has beaten, they lose. Right, Tennessee has to play Georgia. Ohio State on that day, they play Northwestern. Northwestern's terrible, and if they had played a better team, Ohio State might have been in trouble. The trust, the trust, the trust, the trust. It's everything. It's everything. And you're trying to prepare yourself whether you trust them or not going into the Michigan game. is this coherent yet it's going to get there i think from the sixth one i was a former retired journalist i like to focus rants on the journalism so we had a lot of the talented buckeye talk threesome telling us what we all knew that the run game was not good especially on third and short and that that did not bode well versus michigan or in future hurricanes but with little focus on the specifics of why so who's not blocking who's not coaching technique scheme is it the running backs earn that 311 a month just kidding on the last as you guys are very creative thorough entertaining but so I do think from this from the 6.0 I want to talk about this because it's very hard for us to do that in the post game podcast because we are not I have the game on YouTube TV but we're watching it live and sometimes the diagnosing of what exactly went wrong is very difficult in a press box right after the game. But I actually thought Nathan and I did a pretty good job of that on the Monday pod, looking back at the run game. And Ryan Day confirmed almost everything we said, which is there were a couple run plays that didn't work because they didn't have enough guys to block the people in the box. And that was on the coaching. That's the scheme. The numbers weren't there. I thought that was the fourth and one. He said specifically there was one play where the numbers got us. And I thought, well, yeah, we know it's that fourth and one. And we saw that unblocked linebacker, seven blockers, eight guys in the box. Then we talked uh, certainly talked about times where they didn't get a push. Maybe the right guard Matthew Jones had a little bit of a rough day. There was a big Matthew Jones conversation. I thought we I thought we talked about that. I thought we did talk about Mayan maybe at times like didn't exactly hit the hole correctly. So I thought we got there, but point taken. I'm just telling you it's hard for us. We're not going to do like film breakdown, diagnose the why right after a game. So anyway, but the overriding thing that's another overriding thing is this. From the 4-4-0, the game on Saturday was terrible. I think all fair-minded people can agree on this. However, it really doesn't matter. Ohio State is an SEC team in Big Ten clothing. The simple truth of the matter is Ohio State is built to compete with the top-level SEC teams and will struggle in these slogs against Northwestern and bad weather. Nobody really wants this Michigan offense. It seems good against the Big Ten, but we saw what happens when it faces an elite team like Georgia. If the weather is bad on November 26th, Ohio State is probably going to lose to Michigan. If the weather is normal, then Michigan's probably going to lose to Ohio State. Ohio State is built for the playoff run and matches up well with everyone in the playoff hunt except possibly Michigan. Buckeye fans have to accept that this isn't trestle ball. This is a showy SEC-style passing offense. Time to just buy into who they are and hope the weather holds against Michigan. So this is the conversation that we have here all the time. We talked about last week that we have this all the time. And I brought that question directly to Ryan Day on Tuesday. And I said, Ryan, I'm trying to cut out, cut out the answer that I don't want. Ryan, you have to win each Saturday. Of course, if you don't win each Saturday, then you don't get to where you want to go. But when you think of the big picture offense in the offseason, The idea, if you guys are going to win a national title, the last three games you're going to play, they're going to be indoors in Indianapolis and then two warm weather or indoor games in the playoff. This is me. But the first 12 are here in Big Ten country. Does that require two types of thinking about offense, two types of preparation about offense? Of course, we know what happened Saturday, but big picture, is it two different things or is it not? That was my question to Ryan Day. This is how Ryan Day answered that. I totally agree. And I think it and he was smiling as I finished the question, I could see him smiling because he was agreeing with my premise. I totally agree. And I think it's very perceptive. And it's something that I thought a lot about in the offseason. I think that's why you see us in some of the under center stuff in the different groupings. He means when when CJ goes under center, it's not just shotgun. I mean, there was a point in that game last week where I was nervous that the snap was going to go over the quarterback's head. So we were under center a lot more. But, like you said, that's playing in the Big Ten in November. So, again, that was a little bit of, a, of an extreme game, but we've tried to make some adaptations to make sure that we're ready for those types of environments. Because then you turn around and then you're in a wide open uh, game in Indianapolis. It's 72 degrees and a fast track. So, you have to have both of those things in order to get where you want to go in terms of reaching your goals. Absolutely. So, this is the continuing run game conversation. They've got to be both. I talk about it all the time. They, I think, are a rare team that sort of has to be both. You have to be able to deal with bad weather and run it. You have to be able to be a high-flying passing team because I do think that is part of that. And so the whole thing is this. The whole thing is this conversation. Should Ryan Day give up play calling? Is the run game of a problem? What are they going to do? Should they just be the Chiefs? Here's the stats. NFL, percent breakdown of what percent of your plays are pass plays. So in the NFL, this stat is through the roof on chucking it around. It's the NFL. In the NFL, 27 of the 32 teams throw the ball more than half the time. The only teams that don't are the Philadelphia Eagles. that They incorporate a quarterback run game right? With Jalen Hurts that accentuates everything they do. The New York Giants, they don't really trust Daniel Jones. Brian Dayball's a new head coach, is trying to do whatever he has to do. It's working. They're running with Saquon Barkley, but it's a function of not really wanting to put it on your quarterback. The Tennessee Titans, Mike Rabel, Derrick Henry, also not trusting the quarterback. They're going to do that. The Atlanta Falcons, again, they're playing Marcus Mariota. They don't have a great one game necessarily. They have a couple guys there, but it's kind of not trusting the quarterback. It's kind of working. And then the Bears, because Justin Fields running all over everybody. The Bears uh run it, only throw it 40% of the time. They run it 60% of the time. The other 27 teams run it more or throw it more than half the time. The Bucks with Tom Brady are first. They throw it 69% of the time. The Chiefs, as mentioned here, are third. 65% of the time they throw. Uh, the Bills They throw it 62% of the time. Uh, Miami throws it 63% of the time. So there are 14 teams that throw it 60% of the time. Okay, so are you the Chiefs? You put that in your head. That stuck with me. Oh, they're the Chiefs. Ohio State's the Chiefs. And the other thing that I think is comparable with the Chiefs is the Chiefs lost to the Colts this year. And the Colts fired their coach. They're so bad. The Colts are firing everybody. They're so awful. They're tanking now, but they beat the Chiefs on a single game. And it was like, how did that happen? But as Ryan, this is the Ryan Day thinking. In the NFL, you can do that, and in college you can't. And that's we're going to talk about that at the end. The Chiefs, they're the Chiefs. They're the Chiefs. What do you think Ohio State's percent of pass plays is this season? The Chiefs, they're the Chiefs. Struck stuck stuck with me. The Chiefs, 65% they throw it. Get a number for Ohio State. Get it in your head right now. Ohio State's percent of how often they throw it this year. They throw it 46.3 percent of the time. That ranks 77th in the country in how often they throw. Last year, they threw it 54.9 percent of the time. That ranked 20th in the country in how often they throw. This year, they are 77th. Among teams in the top 10 of the latest playoff rankings, there are five teams that throw it more than Ohio State throws it. Georgia throws it more than Ohio State, 49.8% of the time. USC, Lincoln Riley, he's like Ryan Day, right? USC throws it more than Ohio State, 53.5% of the time. LSU throws it more than Ohio State, 50% of the time. Alabama throws it more than Ohio State, 52.1% of the time. And Clemson, which has quarterback issues, throws it more than Ohio State, 46.5% of the time. The teams in the top 10 that throw it less often than Ohio State, again, Ohio State is 46.3. Oregon is 45.2. Tennessee is 43.5. TCU is 43.5. And Michigan is 38.5. Michigan runs it on 61.5% of their plays. They throw it on 38.5% of their plays. Michigan is 121st in how often they throw the ball in the country. So Ohio State is actually in the bottom half of the country in how often they throw it, but Michigan is an extreme. So if we are using Michigan as a touch point for an Ohio State run game conversation, we must understand that Michigan is extreme. Michigan runs it more than any good team in the country. This is not how most people do it. And Georgia and Bama throw it more than Ohio State. USC, of course, throws it more than Ohio State. I actually think these numbers are reminding me that A, they really aren't the Chiefs, at least not in how they go about it. They throw it 46% of the time. The Chiefs throw it 65% of the time. And if anything, I think Ohio State is not throwing it enough. Now, this is skewed. By the northwestern game but it still would be under 50 50 and with what they do and how they do it should this be a team that throws it less than half the time does that make sense to you so we are having a conversation about run game run game run game they've got to get the run game figured out are they doing that too much are they trying to figure it out too much so i do think that there is a lot here with this and I and there was a a a text that I thought was really interesting about people kind of wanting Ohio State to run it because that's kind of how they've always done it this is not quite that text but this is a version of that from the 616 Doug You keep uh, taking a running offense discussion and making it a comparison to Michigan, and we need you to stop. We aren't asking for Michigan's offense. We are asking Ryan Day to get back to Ohio State's roots. We have been a power run offense for the entire history of Ohio State. When Urban came, he modernized it, running power run in the shotgun, not pistol. Ryan Day needs to get back to power run offense, being able to line up and hand the ball to your five-star back or your four-star bowling ball and run down the field. Ohio State has Michigan has beaten Michigan only once with a passing attack in 2018 when Ryan Day had Don Brown's number. In 2019, J.K. Dobbins had four touchdowns. We are asking Ryan Day to get back to our roots, run some shotgun power eye, and figure out how to run the ball in crucial moments. Saturday versus Northwestern, Better have been a wake-up call because it was pitiful. My fear is it wasn't enough, though. So that is a version of that. People wanting to get back to roots, right? Here's the one I was looking for. From the 937, Ohio State has been a run-first offense for basically its entire football history, and it is brutal for a lot of fans to accept when they just aren't good at it anymore. So I guess part of my question is, is just because you did it before, does that mean you should do it now? And I guess, is this a weather conversation? Is this that every Big Ten team in the country is beholden to that style of offense? And I guess if, if what you're saying is quit saying that would you rather have Ohio State or Michigan, you just want them to run it more efficiently or run it more effectively or run it more often, they're in the bottom half, right? They're, they're on the run side of things. If if half, you know, hey, let's cut the, the country in half. Who Who are the top half that runs it? in the top half of the country, and who, who throws the top half of the country? Ohio State's in the run half. They're not in the throw half. So just doing it is not the point. I know you guys want to do it well, and of course that's the point. But I, it, it goes back to the thing, and you guys don't like it when I say it. So you kind of know where I stand on this, and I'm going to take a breath because we're going to come back, and I want to talk. Was that good? I don't know if that was good. That might have been too wide and varied but I want to dig in on the thing that I think matters the most in the run game and what a lot of people are really talking about. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com, BlueNile.com. All right, let's get to this. This is really a separate topic, but I think this is right. This is Aaron from the 419, but living in the 713. First-time ranter, but I don't know if this will actually be a rant. I've taken into account the last three weeks, the level of defense we played against and the elements from this past Saturday. And regarding the ground game, I'll just say this short yardage situations are going to ruin the season. If the interior line doesn't get it together, I'm not overly concerned because they've proven this year, they can execute when needed, but the competition only gets tougher from November 26th on. I fully expect this to rectify itself when the O-line gets back to executing their blocks consistently. I really think there are two things here. I think the main thing is this really is a short yardage conversation. It is really not a comprehensive throughout the game run game situation because I do think a lot of the times, if the run game's not working and it's not 40 mile per hour wins, the pass game can fix the problems that the run game creates. But on short yardage, they're getting stopped too much. And that's been happening in several games. And so I think the answer is they have to succeed in short yardage, but that doesn't mean they have to succeed running it, but they've got to do better. And Ryan Day said on Tuesday of all the things that happened, of all the things that bothered him from the Northwestern game, the ineffectiveness in short yardage is what bothered him the most. And that's what should bother him the most, because that's when you lose possession. So, you know, if it's not working that great, there are a lot of situations. I think there have been a lot of situations this year when you feel like the run game's not working, it doesn't work that well, or first and second down, and then they complete a pass on third and nine, and it's fine. Like you solved it, you got the first down again. The short yardage is really, really the issue, and I do think that's real. And I do think that relates to everything push on the offensive line, play calling, make sure you're not losing the numbers battle backs hitting the holes. I think it is all those things, but it's really that. So I don't think – I think they can change this percentage of how, of how often they run and they can throw it more, but then – and this really, really is the actual conversation going back to last year. Can you run it when they know you're going to run it? It's the third and two stop in the second half against Michigan. That's what this whole year is about, and that's still there. That's not fixed. That's the problem. It's not run game 60 minutes. It's one game short yardage when it matters. So how is that going to get fixed? That, I think, is an absolutely worthwhile question. But I think it might be by throwing it more often in those situations. I honestly do. But they have to get that fixed. If we can narrow this conversation to that, I do think that is a more effective way to go about this. And Ryan Day also brought this up. And I think this is also true. From the 3-3-0, first ever rant, so here we go. I know we keep blaming offensive line play and blocking up front, which has been underwhelming at times, but I wonder if these injuries to the running backs are the main factor for the lack of a run game. Take Mayan, for instance. The biggest attribute used to be his physicality. It just appeared specifically on Saturday that he was either constantly making cuts or dancing behind the line of scrimmage instead of downhill running between the tackles. And to add to this, Mayan is not an east-to-west guy, but an inside-the-tackle guy. Ryan Day brought this up. I think this might be very real. And I think I, I asked, Nathan and I both asked about the screen game. And I asked specifically, uh, this year they have thrown nine passes in nine games to the running backs. Last year, they threw 41 passes in 13 games to the running backs. So it's one a game instead of three a game. And Trevion specifically had 27 receptions last year. This year, he has three, and it's for negative yardage. He's done nothing. He's done He's done negative garbage in the past game, where I think Travion in space, Travion in the screen game, from the moment he did it against Minnesota in his very first game last year, I think he's really good at that. Now, and as, as I preface this question to Ryan Day, it's like, hey, we say, how come you don't throw enough to the tight end? They're really throwing the tight end really well this year. And by the way, they have awesome receivers. And sometimes you think, well, hey, they should throw to Marvin even more. So it's very easy to be to pick out the part where they're not throwing to somebody and say, well, why don't you throw more there? And often the answer is, well, it's because we're throwing more here and it's working. Like, what do you want us to do? We're not throwing 70 times a game. And in a world where they're only throwing at 46.3% of the time, as opposed to last year when they threw at 54.9% of the time, there are fewer passes to go around. But I think this is an overall rhythm conversation. Ryan Day in the screen game said, listen, it's been hard to sort of get guys in rhythm in the past game as running backs because they've been in and out. And I think that applies to the run game. And I think the idea that, hey, isn't it great they have these two backs? The ideal world is two backs, share the load, you stay fresh all year, and here you go. But they have both been in and out of the lineup. It has been a weird injury year for the running backs. And I think that has taken its toll. I think the idea that that is one of the main things affecting the effectiveness of the run game, I think, is right. Now, excuses, is great. Hey, you guys are hurt. Play the next guy. But I don't think there's any rhythm to the run game. And I do think sometimes we have talked about that in relation to... Rotating guys in and out. Hey, you want to let a guy get hot. But this is not even that. It's not even an in game conversation. It's an in season, all season, week to week conversation. Guys don't have a rhythm week to week because they have both been in and out of the lineup. So I think potentially that could work itself out if they can both get healthy. For the last three games of the regular season, maybe you could get to a spot where by the Michigan game, if you have both Mayan and Travion, against Indiana and Maryland both being used both getting in a groove that maybe by Michigan they're both ready and they're both feeling it more than they felt it all year but I don't know I also don't I think it's not dissimilar from 2015 where this was by their own doing neither quarterback got in a rhythm neither Cardale Jones nor JT Barrett got in a rhythm this is a guy just came up with this this is dead on get ready for this one by their own doing neither quarterback got in a rhythm And they played both, and the result was not just in a game-to-game, you know, not within a game situation when, like, right, it was Cardale, then it was JT, then JT was the red zone guy, then they finally went to JT full-time. It it partially was about them within a game getting a rhythm, but within a season, gaining confidence, getting in a groove, the week-to-week pattern, I practice, I practice, I film, I watch film, I get out there on Saturday and I play. By the time they got to Michigan State in week 11, they were still feeling the effects of that. And I think they did not get the quarterback play they normally would have gotten in that week 11 game, game 11 against Michigan State, because they dorked around at quarterback for the first 10 games. I think that might be happening here at running back, not through their own doing, because of these nagging injuries. And I don't think either of those backs are in a rhythm. Now, as we talked about on the pod, the earlier pods a couple of days ago, Mayan's individual effort on that touchdown run was like a game saver. So kudos. But I think that's real. Ryan Day brought that up, and that that hit me too. I think that is real, that I don't think we are seeing right now the best of these backs. I don't think we've seen the best of Travion most of the year. And I do think in a tough spot Saturday where it was a slog, you saw Mayan at moments, but I don't think over the course of the game we saw the best of Mayan. So is that great? Oh, oh, great excuse, Doug. What what is anyone going to do about it? I don't know. I think maybe it's get them in the game and hope they're healthy the next two weeks. And maybe that gives you a chance for the Michigan game to see the best of both of the backs. But if trivia for whatever, if they're both not healthy against Indiana, if they're both not healthy against Maryland, I think this is going to be an ongoing thing. So I do think, so that's where I wanted to focus on short yardage. And I wanted to focus on the rhythm of those backs. And so that's why we did that. And listen, 161, I, I see all of it. I see all of this, all the really interesting stuff about the run game and the consternation about it, and I hope that's that's representative. I, and again, I people sometimes hate when I say maybe run it, like maybe just avoid the run game from the 4-for-0 caveat. I love the pod, but for the sake of making it a rant, frequently hearing on this pod how unimportant the run is and that Stroud should just throw all day is so obnoxious. The Northwestern game showed the importance of the run. But more importantly, as a fan, I want to see Ohio State run. I'm fine with more passes than runs, but this is Ohio State, the flag bearer of Midwest teams. We have to be dominant in every weather condition. We have to move the ball on the ground. I will also say, again, you guys were here. You were here. You were here. And I was covering it in the trestle era when people were begging Jim Trestle to throw the ball more. People wanted Mike Martz to come be the offensive coordinator. I've told the story a million times, asking Jim Trestle, I have a terrible memory. This is stuck in my head. I knew ex- I know exactly where I was standing. I know exactly where he was standing inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and asking him if he would ever consider giving up the duties of running the offense and being the play caller. And he said, what am I going to do, eat bonbons all day? I never. I will never forget that. But that's what you guys wanted then. Why? Because they weren't throwing it enough. So, you know, it's. I understand um, that this is part of the identity of what people grew up with with Ohio State football. But the game has changed. And in a world where 27 of the 32 NFL teams throw it more often than they run it, and Ohio State is currently running it 46% of the time. No, excuse me. It's currently throwing it 46% of the time and running it 54% of the time. I just, I have a hard time saying, like, yeah, more run, more run, more run is what you actually want. I don't know. I don't know. This is a thing that I kind of don't agree with from this 317. I'm so sick of hearing about a lack of push more offensive line. It's inexcusable. And the notion the notion that it's a lack of effort or will from our offensive lineman that is being thrown around by members of the beat, if true, is even more inexcusable. If Justin Fry can't motivate his players, then he should be fired immediately. If they can't motivate his players and we lose to Michigan in a similar fashion as last year, then maybe Day is better suited to be an NFL coach where motivation is assumed given the player contracts and it's strictly X's and O's. I really don't think that's it. I don't think these guys are afraid of that. I think Paris Johnson and DeWan Jones are two very, very good tackles. And the thing a year ago we have to remember is the real problem against Michigan was that they couldn't pass protect when they needed to against NFL edge rushers for Michigan. That was the real issue. And they didn't get the third down run. I think Matthew Jones, who there are a lot of questions about him, is playing with the foot thing. And Ryan Day said, there are times I think maybe, hey, like, you know, again, the pitch count thing comes up a little bit. Do you want to monitor that? You know, we saw you knock come in early in that game last week. But the thing that Ryan Day said repeatedly on Tuesday, or at least said once, Stephen asked him very specifically, you know, would you maybe change some personnel on the offensive line? He said, I think we have the five best guys. And now, does that mean it's five great guys? Does it mean it's a perfect offensive line? Well, you have a first round left tackle probably a second or third round right tackle. You have a five-star left guard, and you have a center who is sort of like, as Urban always said, the fulcrum of the offense. I, you know, I don't think people are saying replace Luke Whipler. So I think four out of five, you're about as good as you're going to be. And then Matthew Jones, who is a guy who won a starting job this year, is playing through an injury, and they're not deep. We knew that. We knew they were not deep on the offensive line, so the idea of like replace a guy, I just don't know who they're going to go to. And Ryan Day said it feels like Josh Fryer. He said Josh Fryer, who is this like the, he puts on number forty-one. He's usually in the seventies. He puts on number forty-one. He comes in as an extra tight end, It's the way they used Donovan Jackson at times last year. Josh Fryer, I think it's clearly the sixth offensive lineman. He can play guard and tackle, but I think he's more of a tackle. I think he might be a starting tackle next year. I don't, and he's coming off an ACL. He's just rounding into form. I think Josh, I don't think Josh Fryer is a real option to play right guard instead of Matthew Jones. And then Enoch Vamahi, I think, is their seventh guy. He's their next guy up on the interior. But I just don't know that there's anything about Enoch Vamahi that's like, yes, that's the answer instead of Matthew Jones. So I do think we've seen at times Adebarre, that guy from Northwestern, beat some guys. I think we saw, we've seen at times where the guards have been beaten. Donovan Jackson is a young guy. He's a young guy, man. man he's getting into November of his first year being a starter. He's two years out of high school. That's just real. Donovan Jackson will be a better college football player next year than he is this year because everybody is. You're around more. You've been through it before. He's never been through this before. So at times, might he get beat? I mean, I don't think that's a crazy thing to happen. But I don't think motive. I don't think they're not trying. And so um, they've played some pretty good fronts and. You also, I do think in this world, right, you you can't get C.J. Stroud hit. So what would you want to run? Do you want an O-line that's run game first and problems in pass protection? Or do you want an O-line that protects a, your first-round quarterback and your five-star receivers and protects that pra- passing game pretty darn well? And then maybe at times in the run game is not as good. Right, right? I mean, I know everybody wants Ohio State to be great at everything. I think in this world you take the pass protection. And I think they've been pretty good at that. So I'm not excusing it doesn't excuse it. They've got to be better in short yards. They've got to be got to be got to be got to be. But I don't I don't know that personnel change is the answer and I do think you have a right guard who's kind of playing through some stuff right now. So um all right. I'm going to do this one. From the 513, please stop calling really good players generational. Generational talent is intended to mean once in a generation. Based on the frequency with which you use the term, a generation is roughly equivalent to two years. What's wrong with just saying a player is really good? The best since ABC other player or something else like that. Anything other than generational, please. That's Arge Sarge in the 513. Um, that's real. We can stop doing that. I get it. I, I hear you. That's a, That's a reasonable thing. Words matter. Words carry meaning. Um so we'll try to stop doing that. This is a little quickie from the 443. Very odd comment from Ryan Day about Notre Dame making it 10 conference games. much ado about nothing. It is much ado about nothing. Ryan Day in referencing that, He said that on Tuesday. He said we had nine. We have nine conference games and Notre Dame's the 10th conference game. He's just meaning high level. Anything can happen any Saturday. They take nothing for granted in the Big Ten. They assume every Big Ten game, even against Rutgers and Northwestern, anything can happen. And he's lumping the big non-conference game in there. And then he's admitting that Toledo and Arkansas State are different animals. So that's that's all that is. That's that conversation. So if you thought that was like an indication that Notre Dame's going to be in the Big Ten or something, Ryan Day uses conference games as a stand-in for high-level games where anything can happen. So just so you know. 937, it's Adam here with my first rant. And I'll start by saying this. As much as I hate losing and as much as I hated the feeling I had with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter against Penn State, I feel like this Ohio State team may need a loss this year to humble them a little. It feels like after the Notre Dame game, they blew everyone out and started to realize how good they are. I just think the effort isn't there, and in my opinion, it's because they know they are better than everyone they line up against and don't need to give 100% on every play. I hope they can realize this with a few close games that shouldn't have been as close as they were, but I've just got a bad feeling this season will end, knowing we had the best team in college football on paper, but when it came down to it, they couldn't put it together when it mattered. Also, with this playoff format and definitely the 12 team format, I don't think a one-loss Big Ten champ will get left out. So... I don't agree with that because they got humbled enough for multiple years last season. And when you lose to Michigan for the first time that any of these guys experienced, and when you have a loss in the second week of the season to Oregon, I, I do not think this is a big head issue with this team. I really don't. They are so mad about losing to Michigan. I, I do you can't have a greater motivation for an Ohio State football team. You cannot have a greater motivation. Obviously, you guys know that. I'm tell- what you- Sometimes I tell you guys, I, I don't mean to I rant-splain. Oh, that'd be good. Rant-splaining. Maybe we already, like at the beginning, we said suggest names for this. Rant-splaining. Let me tell you people who have loved Ohio State football your, all, your whole life, what it's like. It's not what I mean to do. I don't think they have big heads. I think they're mad, like crazy mad because they want to avenge the Michigan loss. And I think they know exactly where they failed last year and they are super interested in fixing it. And so I think in 15, you could say that, right? The 2015 Buckeyes was that an issue? Maybe. I think there I think probably I have covered teams at times. I feel like in uh, was it 09, I thought I felt a loss coming. Because they I kind of felt that from that team, and I thought they were going to lose to Wisconsin, then they beat Wisconsin, they lost to Purdue the next week, and I think a little of that was that. I just don't think that's there with this team. I don't know that it can be when the last time you took the field against Michigan, you lost, so I appreciate the rant i I just don't think uh that's where they are. From the 740, Doug, no rant this week. In Aruba on our honeymoon, life is good. Go Bucks. I'll catch up on the pods when I get back. Sean from the 740, like the idea that, that you're, you're just like checking in from your honeymoon, could I love that more? Could I love it more? I can't love it more. Thank you for checking in. I hope your honeymoon is going great. From the 937, I want to watch a game with Doug in his basement and eat chilies. Like maybe we should have that. I don't know if uh, that's my wife. Hey, honey, can all the texters come over to eat chilies in the basement? Now, the other thing is it's going to smell like farts. But if you're okay with that, then maybe we can work that out. Uh, This is about showering. Random rant from the 937. Over the past several weeks, my buddy at work and I have been arguing about when people should take showers. He believes you should shower in the morning to wake yourself up. He thinks I'm absolutely crazy because I want to take a shower before bed after having worked all day. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for washing my face, brushing my teeth, and freshening up to start my day. But am I crazy for thinking my buddy is an idiot for showering in the morning and going to bed dirty? What do most people do? I'm definitely not showering two times a day unless absolutely necessary. I have to save money on water so I can afford Buckeye Talk. Just kidding. Sorry for the long rant, but this has to be settled. This feels like a poll. I cannot imagine showering at night. And that is because I am a sweaty sleeper. So this person who showers in the morning is clearly not a sweaty sleeper. But frankly, when your job is sitting in front of a microphone and yelling all day, you don't work up that much of a sweat. You should see me when I wake up. It is like I ran a marathon. So if you are a sweaty sleeper, there is no discussion. I don't know what I do to myself in my sleep, but it is disgusting. And as soon as I wake up, it needs to be washed off. Point of information, I'm currently doing this unshowered because sometimes when you're behind on the pod, you got to do the powder. You would not want to see me. I'm looking at myself in a video right now. It's awful. So to send this out into the world is beyond my imagination. I would not want to do it to myself because I feel dirty, but I would not want to do it to the world. So if you have the type of body that you can wake up in the morning and unshowered still a feel fresh and be present yourself as fresh i do think it's a nice time saver at night you get maybe 15 extra minutes of sleep in the morning but for a certain person a certain type of person i cannot i and I get, but i do think it does wake me up too so i my guess is and i we'll do a poll i wrote down do a poll on this my guess is more people are morning showers. my guess it might be like 80 20 but I'll be fascinated to do this. Right. We did this before I got yelled at by somebody about like, why were we talking about other things where some people do things differently? I, I'm fascinated by the kind of stuff, because, again, you think what you do is normal and it turns out maybe a lot of other people do it a different way. So uh, we will definitely deal with that conversation. From the 267, I am so sick of the narrative being pushed by the media and bought into by the fans that the team is soft and Ryan Day is a soft coach. That narrative and description of the team is surface level and a gross oversimplification of what's been going on with the run game. Hey people, go back and watch some of the plays where Ohio State did not have success in short short yardage and it is abundantly clear that it was a number of things. A bad predictable play call, they were outnumbered and the defense had a free hitter, one person missed a block or the running back made a bad read or missed a cutback lane. None of these things indicate the team Soft. That's what happens in football. Teams and players don't play perfect, they can make mistakes, and sometimes the other team capitalizes and makes a good play. It's infuriating to hear the term soft thrown around so willingly without any regard for the nuances of the game. I suppose most fans don't understand the X's and O's. Therefore, they want to explain the run game issues in a simple way that makes sense to them. But I am sick of hearing it. Ohio State will improve their execution. And while it's never going to be perfect, they will be better by the time Michigan rolls around. And this ridiculous narrative will be put to bed. I do think soft is kind of an odd shorthand because it's pretty like dismissive. I mean, what's worse than being caught? I mean, if you call a podcast host soft, I mean, what am I going to do about that? But like a a. a a highly accomplished, very physical athlete. That's like the worst thing you could say to them. And I do think it's just like a shorthand for short yardage hitch failures. I mean, honestly, so we may as well be specific about it. I, I really don't. And I do think there's an idea that if you throw it, you're a finesse team. And again, like the way they throw it, I it's not, it's not a run and shoot. It's not a chuck it and the heck with it kind of offense. And again, in a world where they run it 54% of the time, I, I don't think soft is the right word. I think unable to execute on short yardage is longer, but is closer to the right issue. From the 740, Michigan has won once in the last 10 years against Ohio State, and everyone seems to forget that constantly. Yes, they took it to us last year on the road in the snow, but so many people seem to think Ohio State has the same defense this year as last year and that CJ is the same quarterback he was last year. Yes, it could be a game, but I think the media is just lapping up Michigan talking points any Ohio, Ohio State doesn't win by 40. So again, this is an ongoing thing. This is not new. I've gone back. You guys go back and forth on this. And it's not that you go back and forth. It's that each week you're on both sides of it. overrating Michigan or... Are you selling Michigan short? And people are really panicked about it, right? So you're on both sides of it. It's the it's really about trusting Ohio State. I guess I don't know this for a fact. So I got to find where someone brought this up. Oh, this one. It's our guy from the 419. So many people are down on this team. It's aggravating. Ari Wasserman, love Ari, says we should be an underdog in the game. Is there any hope for this team? So I think that idea, right that that idea of are we at the point that that you would think that are you at the point that you think Michigan is actually the better team i think is interesting because i would not get there now i will say this when i bring in the browns when it's relevant cuz that's the other team that i pay attention to so it's not really about whether you guys like the browns but i know some of you do but it's where i can go to a comparison to try to try to find things cuz it's the other football team that i pay attention to Not as much as Ohio State, clearly, but similarly. So the Browns are coming off a bye, but the last time they played, they played the Bengals. And I think the Bengals are a better team than the Browns. The Bengals made the Super Bowl last year. This is actually another very good comparison. Man, i got to write this stuff down. Browns are Michigan. Ohio State is Bengals. Now, that's not great news because Joe Burrow is... I think the Bengals are 0-5. I think Burrow was hurt for one of them. But Joe Burrow has never beaten the Browns. I think that's right. And the Browns are a really good matchup for the Bengals because, A, the Bengals' offensive line isn't great. And Joe Burrow likes to hold the ball. And nobody takes advantage of that like Miles Garrett. So that's a real thing. And then the Browns do run the ball effectively. And in a world where the Bengals do not run the ball as well as the Browns, The Browns, at their best, when Denzel Ward is healthy and all their corners are playing, do have corners who can match up with those great Bengals receivers better than most teams. I'm not saying they can stop them, but better than most teams. A year ago at Cincinnati, Denzel Ward turned that game on the first drive with a 99-yard pick six on a throw to Jamar Chase. So the Bengals, the Browns are a bad matchup for the Bengals. Everything the Bengals aren't as good at, the Browns are good at. And then what the Bengals do best, sometimes they don't get a chance to do. So when the Browns beat the Bengals, I've been down on the Browns in a lot of ways this year, but I picked the Browns to beat the Bengals in that game. And I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change my overall view of the Browns. And I'm going to pick them to get blown out by the Dolphins this weekend. And it didn't really change my view of the Bengals. And then they came, at, came back and Joe Mixon ran for five touchdowns. And Joe Burrow had a great game and they destroyed the Panthers. But the Browns are a bad matchup for them because the Browns run the ball. And the Bengals passing game is not quite as effective because, man, it's exactly what happened last year. Michigan ran it, and they had pass rushers who got after the quarterback and negated the passing game. That's what the Browns do to the Bengals all the time. But would I'd rather be the Bengals because guess what? The Bengals made the Super Bowl, and the Browns missed the playoffs. I think the Bengals are the better team. The Browns are a tough matchup. So if I'm making that comparison now, all of a sudden, now some of you are going to be more freaked out by that because the Browns just beat them. But I think that's kind of where you are, but I'd still rather have the Bengals roster and how the Bengals go about things. So I'd still rather have Ohio State's roster and how Ohio State goes about things. But Michigan, I don't even know if bad match like is a tough matchup. So I, that doesn't mean to me that I that I necessarily think like Michigan should be favored. And I don't think Michigan is the better team, but matchups do matter. So I think, again, we're trying to zero in here. We want to zero in on what we're all really thinking and saying. And I do think in the end, um, that's a that's a big part of that. I want to use this because a person that's Zach and Canton. I came into this season as a big Matthew Jones fan and was excited for a guy who had waited his turn to get an opportunity that I believed he earned. But just because you earned an opportunity doesn't mean you can't be benched, whether it's health related or not. He is the weak link on the line. and I believe he has to be replaced. I believe they need to put Enoch Amahi or Josh Fryer in there this week against Indiana and give them time to gel with the unit before the Michigan game or Mozzie Smith from Michigan is going to have a game wrecking impact in the game. You know, what uh, what Adibare from for Northwestern did, and there was that play against Penn State where the, the tackle, right, like got off the line and, and won a one-on-one. Mozzie um, Smith can do that. He's a really good interior defensive lineman for Michigan. But uh, I wanted to bring that up because I think I, – I I hear you, Zach. Like I hear – I just – I don't know that that's a better option. Now, listen, maybe we'll get to the game on Saturday and and this will have happened. But that's not, Ryan Day said they're playing the best five guys. But also, what's he going to say? He's not going to tell you now that they're going to make a change. So, all right, quick break. I'm a little all over the place. I apologize. Maybe it's because I'm unshowered. I'm a morning shower person. This is not fresh Dougie. This is dirty Dougie. And you guys are paying for it couple more rants. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Rant from Roger in Athens. To go off of what Nathan said about McDonald's changing from a family environment to a business-like environment currently, I would strongly agree and add to that that McDonald's used to be the number one birthday party place for kids in my town. If I remember correctly, they used to set up decorations. Plus, they had an awesome playground. At my town McDonald's, they also had pizza as a menu item. I remember that. Long past most of the country. Tell kids today... And they would look at you funny if you said you used to have a pizza birthday party at McDonald's. I'm disappointed, and I want it back for my newborn son for when he grows up, but I seriously doubt it will ever return. Thanks. Love the pot and the texts, and bring back Spicy McNuggets. That's Roger in Athens. Uh, I'm for that. I know at the Easton Mall in uh, Columbus— when we moved here, there was a great McDonald's at Easton with the playground. That was awesome. We took our kids there a lot to that playground. And I think it's a Tesla store now is that that tells you about America used to go to a hamburger playground and now it sells electric cars. Get out of here. If you actually, I think electric cars are good. You plug them in. I don't have one, but you plug in your car. saves gas. I don't know. It seems like a good idea, but I'd rather have a hamburger playground. So, uh, I remember that pizza at McDonald's. How about that? But um, that was fun. I I definitely had a birthday party at McDonald's. And I do think they want to be Starbucks now. They changed all the McDonald's are more like a Starbucks. That that, like everybody wants that vibe of like a hangout. And again, we're a bad example because we do hang out at McDonald's because it's a good place to go right. And then you can pay a dollar and get free Diet Coke refills. But if if I I think lean back into kids birthday party vibe instead of Starbucks vibe for a cheap hamburger place, might be a better idea. I do think that might be that might be a better idea. Might be a better idea. From the five one three, here's my rant. I know since we follow Ohio State, we hold them under the microscope as I think we should. But it just seems like no one gives a darn when the Michigan was losing to Rutgers until eight minutes left in the third quarter. When we had a similar game with Iowa and Penn State, the entire national media clamors on to bash us, but I haven't heard a peep about them. If we didn't give up the garbage time touchdown to Penn State, that score would have been 44-24, pretty similar to fifty-two seventeen, but people just want to applaud Michigan for pulling it out late. It's annoying. Uh I don't think that's completely untrue. I mean, I I think there might be something there. I do think even as Michigan is kinda of able, even though Michigan played made the playoff last year and beat Ohio State, I think Michigan still is held to a lower standard generally, which again, that's a that's a compliment to be held to a higher standard. But I certainly took note when Michigan was in a close game with, with Rutgers at halftime. And then after the fact, it's like, oh, then they blew them out. But that's why I also thought sort of like the Iowa and Penn State results in the end were pretty good for Ohio State. I thought they were more good than bad because it took them time to work it out. But then they did work it out. And I'll tell you what, Shiano can junk it up, man. And Shiano has junked it up against Michigan before. They beat Michigan a couple of years ago. So I have not gone back and watched that game, but... You know, I, I'm not bashing Michigan, but I also wasn't sort of bashing Ohio State. Now, I was bashing Ohio State for the Northwestern thing because that was ridiculous, And I understand it was a hurricane. But um, I think working it out, and then you're in a position where you never were really in a position to lose, right? Even though Ohio State took the field against Penn State with nine and a half minutes left and they were down, then they took care of business. So I, I, I get what you're saying there. I get what you're saying there. From the 216, it's Joseph uh, – excuse me, Jason in Aurora, Ohio. No rant, just a thank you. I spent the weekend in New York City as part of running the New York City Marathon. How about that? Run a marathon and run the New York City Marathon at that. What an accomplishment. Congratulations. I tell you this because I spent almost all of my training runs listening to Buckeye talk. I literally jumped for joy on the side of the road when I heard you read my text about my trip to see my daughter and watch the University of Tennessee play Florida. You guys keep me company on my runs, and I'm grateful. I don't know what I'd do if you quit putting out the pods. Your competition doesn't measure up in quality or quantity. Um, two must-haves when one is running 50 to, 50 to 60 miles a week. Woo! I'm trying to run nine. So with the end of all that training, I'll have to find other ways to get the pods in. I think an interesting off-season topic would be how people listen to the pod. The survey would be easy and illuminating. Maybe there are other Buckeye runners out there along with me. Anyhow, thanks again. Keep up the good work. That is Jason. Very nice to hear. And I I am curious about that because I mean I I listen to pods. I don't like I only listen to pods. And there are almost times when I look forward to like, oh, I can't wait to listen to this pod. So I listen in the car every time when I drive. Sometimes I want to listen to my 80s motivational songs when I run, but sometimes I listen to pods. It's really mostly in the car, but I also like listen in the shower. I, I always listen in the shower. I listen while I brush my teeth. So anything I'm doing where I can't watch something, I'm listening to a pod. So I don't know, maybe you guys maybe you guys do that kind of thing too. All right, we're gonna get to the kind of thing that I, I promised we would get to. Let me do this, 847. Concerns about Ohio State's performance at Northwestern are overblown. As an analogy, consider Shahani, Shohi Otani. Is that, I, 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 Otani, right? I, I only like to say his last name, I don't pay attention to baseball, Otani. I'm saying his first name wrong. I'm a sports guy. He's the Angels guy. The, the unbelievable. He's about modern Babe Ruth. Otani. You guys know who he is. He was the second best overall hitter in the American League this season, but his batting average was only 273. This is still above average, but nothing to write home about. Most of his value comes from his abilities to hit doubles and home runs more than most players. Now imagine that Otani was playing in a game of baseball where only singles were allowed, no matter how far you hit it. His batting average is good enough that you would expect him to do better than the average player, but he is much less likely to be a world-beater. Ohio State is like him, but in football. If you force them to play a game where passing splash plays are impossible, you remove their best attribute and force them to only use their moderately above-average run game. Combine that with a garden-variety, letdown bad game that all good teams have— Georgia versus Missouri, Tennessee versus Pittsburgh, and you end up with a performance like this weekend. I'm not overly concerned with a repeat of this performance, absent more terrible weather. That's Mark, and I wanted to make sure I read that because I think it is a great comparison and a great way to think of it. But I also would say, as great as Otani is, if he came up with a runner on second in the eighth inning and two out, where a single and in a in a tie game where a single drives in the go-ahead run and he struck out and it was like well he struck out because he was trying for an extra base hit because that's where his value is and that's what he does you'd still be like man that would have been a good time to get a hit so i agree with you that ohio state is more of an ops team right slugging on base right it's not just about batting average but there are times when a single is what you need and you really need the single so i do think to extend that comparison I, I i do think that matters let me answer this hey doug from the 989 i want to start by saying i've loved the state football since i can remember my rant is why does it always seem like our teams are missing one thing to get them over the top this year being the offensive line 2015 was horrible play calling 2016 was horrible play calling 2018 was awful defense um 2020 it was It was the defense in COVID. 2021 was awful defense. I know we're extremely spoiled as Buckeye fans, and I don't take that for granted. We're always just so close and can't seem to get over the top. Thanks for giving us a platform to rant. Love what you guys do and keep up the good work. It's Jared from the 740, but living in the 989. So I think the reason this shows up, and I don't really disagree with what you're saying there, is that most of the time when teams have a glaring weakness, it makes them bad. And when Ohio State has a glaring weakness, they have enough other good things that the conversation is not, oh, they were bad. The conversation is they couldn't get over the top. So I think because they're always near the top, it can feel like, boy, there's always one thing holding them back from getting over the top. But really the point is how, cl- how often they are close to the top. Because lots of other times when teams have a real problem, it makes them eight and four or five and seven, or it gets a coach fired. So Ohio State can feel like, man, it's just that one thing we were so close. Well, it's because you're so close every year. So I don't disagree with it. But the point is, like, it's hard to be good at everything in a single year. So most teams do have a flaw. They're just more fatal. So. And then when you say, like, well, you have a flawless team, that's when you're in super team territory. I think what is much more likely is that you can overcome the flaw. So if that's what you're feeling like, man, there's this one flaw they couldn't overcome. Well, you know, they made the title game in 2020. You know, they made the playoff in 19. They almost made the playoff in 18 and 17. They made the playoff in 16. They almost made the playoff last year. I know what you're saying. But I think it's really a reminder of how hard it is to be good at everything. Not an excuse. Reasonable to hold Ohio State to a national title standard. But I do think that's real. All right,'m I'm, I'm trying to do, ugh, I have so many, I have so many, I feel so bad. rant from the 480. There might be a point of too much Buckeye talk. I wrote the question about having a kid and what teams they cheer for, which is important context. Last week, I had a dream that I fell asleep during an Ohio State game while the baby slept, and I woke up to Ohio State losing 63-3 to to Coastal Carolina in the third quarter, and I was listening to Doug have a meltdown about the state of the program. I woke up and thought to myself, what the heck is wrong with me that my subconscious would do that? Probably a mix of soon to be parent anxiety plus too much podcast. Thought it was funny and wanted to share, love the pod, and no, I still don't think there is too much Buckeye talk. So, uh, I also think that'd be a fun off-season pod. Like, what are your, not your Buckeye Talk dreams, but what are the dreams that you've had about Ohio State football? I've told you guys before, like, when the season's getting ready to start, I start dreaming about the team. I had a dream the other night. I can't really remember it, but it certainly was about, like, Missing a press conference and Ryan Day said something and I was in the wrong place. And there's like stuff like that that happens all the time. This is a couple more concerns from the 614 rant about the Buckeye Talk YouTube videos. Again, if you guys don't watch our YouTube videos, you can subscribe just like on YouTube. Put in Ohio State football and Cleveland dot com or Buckeye Talk and you'll find it. Then you can subscribe to the channel. Why must you post multiple videos? Can't you post one longer video? I listen to your podcast, and I know you guys have no problem with longer content. Please, one stinking video, not two or three. Have a great Tuesday. Ryan and Pickerington. That's definitely strategic by us. We think a video is better if it's like five minutes, three to five minutes. We've been told that. I know other outlets do it differently. And I think that's what you're responding to. And I think they do it effectively. It's not what we do. It's we like to have a single topic. So it's like, oh, am I interested in this topic? Here's a headline about the offensive line. Here's a headline about Jim Knowles or Ryan Day play calling or Mayan Williams. Do I want to hear about just that topic? That's our strategy. But I know what you're saying. Other places do it differently and do it well there. But that's how we do it. From the 210, been listening since day one back in 2014 with you, Ari, and Bill. Never had a rant until now. It's not around Buckeye football or the podcast, but your Ohio State videos on YouTube. Doug. What in the heck are you looking at during times when you're not speaking? Nathan is hosting and always engaged. Stephen pays attention to whomever is speaking, or at least is looking toward the middle of the threesome, and you are always looking around like there is way more interesting stuff off camera. Every video kicks off with Nathan doing intros, Stephen paying attention, and Doug looking somewhere off camera. It bugs the heck out of me, and yet I love it. Keep up the great work. I will admit that it is hard for me to pay attention when I'm not talking. And if you notice... This is a podcast where I talk to... I'm locked. You should see me now. I'm looking straight ahead, baby. But it's just hard. I'm just self-absorbed, which is going to... We'll get to the self-absorbed now. I just... I can't help it. If I'm not hearing my own voice, I drift. I don't know. Maybe I need therapy or medicine. But I know I'm doing it. And I am listening. But I'm also like, when is it going to be my turn to talk again? So um, it's a character flaw that is being exposed in real time and uh it's because i'm an egomaniac and i apologize all right i gotta read this i wasn't gonna read this i gotta read this from the 614 i've reached a sad threshold in my life no longer does a dave's double from wendy's bring me any level of satisfaction now let me be clear this is no fault of wendy's or their fantastic burgers it is my fault I've gone to the same well one too many times, and the law of diminishing returns has reared its ugly head on me and my aging body once again. It seemed like my body turned off my taste buds and said, no more. In contrast, I recently ate an apple, and it tasted amazing. This experience, in retrospect, is actually another wave in my drawn-out goodbye to my youth. I'm actually okay with this because I am now in position to enjoy my kids' youthful exuberance now that I am over mine. Did I write that? Gosh, I relate to that. I, there's a thing, there's a Jim Gaffigan routine where he talks about like being at a buffet and um, the bacon's at the end of the buffet and he didn't realize it and so he's filled his plate before he got to the bacon at the end of the buffet. And he's look he says he looks down at like he, all this there's all this worthless fruit on his plate where he could be putting bacon there. So I often think about worthless fruit. And then he talks about the miracle, the, the, the miracle that a pig does. And he says, a pig can take an apple, essentially garbage, and turn it into bacon because the pig eats the apple and you kill the pig and it's, it's bacon. So every time, I love apples, but I, the phrase, an apple, essentially garbage, I, is in my head every single day of my life. I think it's so funny. So the idea that this texture was rejuvenated by the idea of eating an apple is just beautiful to me. Isn't life wonderful? Life is wonderful. Let's do this. I can't get to it all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, this is really good stuff, but we need to talk about why some of you aren't enjoying this. And I'm not. It's not to yell at you. I it's to try to help you because I think help is on the way. This is someone who sent a text and then when I did the text call out said, the rant call out said, hey, I I already sent one and they even sent a four minute Nick Saban video from the 513 and wanted me to watch that watch part of it. Doug, you always say you're looking for content. I hope you watch this video because this needs to be discussed on Buckeye Talk. I also hope you read this because it took forever to write on my phone using only my finger. I respect that. The self-absorbed fan is a phenomenon that is ruining Buckeye football. I'm not talking about the passion that boils up and over during a game. I'm talking about the hatred that spews out against this team on fan boards and websites on Tuesday and Wednesday. Nothing this team does is ever good enough. These young men are eviscerated because they didn't make a block or make a throw or catch the ball. It's not up to 18 to 22-year-olds to carry the unrealistic expectations of fans that they make every play, stop every run behind the line of scrimmage, and blow at every opponent. Like Nick Saban says, the other team has players and pride, too. They want to win as much as the Buckeyes. It's also a lot to ask this team get up for every game, to play each game like it's the national championship. None of us could do it. So why put that burden on these young men to do so? On Saturday, the Buckeyes played in a hurricane and won the game. It doesn't matter if Northwestern figured it out first. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is Ohio State won the game. How many top 10 teams went down to defeat, playing in ideal conditions? The Buckeyes won in a hurricane. The worst thing that ever happened to college football was the Vegas line. It sets expectations on the game. And, and it I think it, it, it skews, right, maybe what people think of this. So this is not the only person who has expressed this kind of thing. And I will say, I am feeling this, and I, I, I just would hope that you guys can enjoy this. And I know it can be difficult, and I think high expectations are fantastic. But I do think, and I've sort of realized this over the course of the year, and this is what I want to end with. I do think the structure of the sport, and this is what Ryan Day expressed a year ago. I do think the structure of the sport is what has done this to everybody. Because we have taken a regional sport that was about rivalries and was about conference championships, and we have made it a national sport. At the highest level, it's a national sport. Very few Ohio State fans think about Big Ten championships. You think about national championships. Now, the great thing is this is the best rivalry in college football, so everybody still thinks about that rivalry. So you do have a game that is for the game's sake, that is not about something else. But the result is also it's so important – The other 11 games before it are all about is Ohio State preparing itself for that game. So you have a game that grounds the regular season, but its outsized importance also puts pressure on the entire regular season. So that's one aspect of this current structure, which has always been the case. And I don't think anybody wants to run from that. Okay, players, coaches, fans, nobody wants to run from that. You don't want to lessen the importance of the Michigan game so that you're not going to escape. But then on top of that, you add this national layer where it's national title or bust, at the very least playoff or bust. And that is a huge primary factor. You're not happy with the Rose Bowl. And again, I think this is fine. But it is a reality. And I do think it has lessened the enjoyment for a chunk of you. This is Stephen from the 419. Doug, my rant will be hard to hear for a lot of fans, but here it is. We are all too toxic and reactionary. Was Saturday a tough game to watch? Yes. But what did we expect in 40-mile-per-hour wins and a running game that hasn't worked all season? We can acknowledge the team needs to improve without crying that the world is falling. Bama has had issues this year, and it resulted in two losses and being out of contention. Ohio State kept it together, overcame the obstacles, and they still control their own destiny. Acknowledge the shortcomings, but don't expect to lose every game from here on out. Right? This is this word, toxic. This word toxic. I think the 12-game playoff, and this is where I have changed even more on this. I think the 12-game playoff is going to save us. It's going to save all of us. Because when the sport is nationalized to this degree, but the entry point to that national conversation is so small... It creates a level of regular season anxiety that we say, oh, we're lessening the value. We're lessening the excitement of the regular season. We're also going to lessen the angst. And I think it needs to happen because I think a lot of you are feeling it. And I think it is maybe negatively affecting your enjoyment of these games. We might be contributing to that because since I have covered this team, Certainly since Urban Meyer got here, does that beat Bama has been something that we have written about and talked about all the time. Maybe too much. And I have certainly, I have done this in pro sports where I I love tanking. I love bottoming out to bounce back up, trying to live in mediocrity all the time and rebuild on the fly. Like, I, I just don't think that's the thing to do. I think bottoming out is really smart. But I've also come around on the idea of a great player on your team is a certain form of enjoyment on its own and that you don't have to trade every star so you can lose every game so you can rebuild the best way possible and get every draft pick. There is value in joy in sports. There is value in a moment. There is value in a player. There is value in a game. There is value in the excellence of CJ Stroud almost no matter the outcome. There is value in the excellence of Marvin Harrison Jr. and the way that Zach Harrison is playing this year, and the way that Tommy Eichenberg is playing this year, and the way that JT Tui Molowau is playing this year. There is value in all of that for its own sake. So if you're if you're not enjoying that because you're you're too worried about the things that go wrong, I think that's a negative. I think you should try to shuck that. And if you're so worried about what's gonna happen next, that you don't enjoy the wins. I think that's a problem, and I think the 12-team playoff is going to set a lot of fans free at the best programs. It's going to set Ryan Day free, and Ryan Day felt this last year, and I just feel you guys feeling it a little more this year. Now, it's not going to set you free from the rivalry angst, but I I think there's more good than bad there because what a spectacular Saturday that is. What joy victories in that game bring you. What a constant 365-day conversation You get from that, I think that's spectacular, and then you have to live with the loss when when it comes. That's that's the side of that. But Ohio State's going to be able to lose, and I think that's good, and that is officially why I'm even now more on the side of the 12 game playoff, because I think everybody needs to be able to lose. I think fans need to be able to lose. The head coaches are fine; they're millionaires, but I do think there's an anxiety there. But the players need to be able to lose. These 20-year-olds need to be able to lose. And in a a world where the mental health conversation in sports and in life has increased in a big way, I think we're going to fix it. I think we're going to fix it from a play standpoint. There is pressure you put on yourself. I don't mean to minimize real mental health issues, right? Losing a game, that's different than, than real mental health issues that need to be addressed. I think we may have... I think the pressure might be too great. And we're going to let a little air out of the balloon. So if you're feeling that now, I get it. I do think Northwestern was not great. I do think that it, in a certain situation, can signal something bad for the Michigan game. Not a guarantee. There are things they need to be better at if they want to be who who they can be. But you should enjoy this because it's pretty cool and it's a whole lot better than being four and eight. So a world where Ohio State can lose and still achieve all its goals, where you as a fan can let that loss go, where the players can let that loss go. I'm still going to stick with them. But guess what? The Chiefs, we'll go back to the Chiefs. The Chiefs lost to the Colts this year. And I don't think Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Paul Rudd and John Hamm, who I believe are Chiefs fans, are walking around still lamenting a loss to the Colts because it's the structure. It's not that NFL players care less about losses. It's because the losses don't do the same thing to you. The losses don't hurt as much. So you can change the structure so the losses don't hurt as much. And college football is going to do that. And I think it needs to happen. And I think I felt it from some of you guys this year. And I'm not yelling at you. I'm I'm trying to empathize with you. Because you love your team, but the structure means they've got to be perfect. Because if they lose one, maybe they're out. And this team is talented enough to win it all. The Chiefs lost to the Colts, and they're fine. And Ryan Day was there a year ago. And I think he really signaled something that I'm feeling from everybody here. So I'm not trying to be your therapist, but I think if you are on the fence about the 12 game, And I have been at times and I have made on this very podcast and I have written, hey, what about the great, you know, those losses that really stick with you? I've made that argument, I think, earlier this year. The devastating loss. Will you miss it? It's part of being a fan. It's part of college football. The devastating loss. Will you miss it? I think it needs to be missed because I don't want you guys driving yourself crazy and these 20-year-olds shouldn't be driving themselves crazy over it either. Okay. That's rant splaining. Sorry, I was all over the place. Sorry, it wasn't up earlier on Wednesday. We have a Thursday thing coming that is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a satisfaction ranking of Big Ten athletic departments in a very specific way. So we put out the basketball preview on Tuesday. I know it wasn't for some of you. I I didn't get to some. I got this. I saw the text. It's like, hey, it's not for me. I get it. I can see the numbers. It's not. It's down. It's going to be the least popular podcast we've done in six months. It's just not the same, and that's fine. And so we're not going to overwhelm you with basketball, but I think there's some interesting contextual things we can do. They're playing Indiana on Saturday. So Tishu, I think, is back to health. We'll be back with the gambling pod on Friday. We'll have the game preview pod on Friday. But Nathan, Stephen, and I will have something a little different for you guys on Thursday. For now, I apologize for being all over the place, and I really appreciate you guys making the Ramp Podcast part of your week. If you want to try the text, Sorry, I can't get all of them. Man, I wish I could get to all of them. Maybe in an offseason, we'll do a rants Podcast, and I'll get to every single one. I promise I will read every, read and react to every single one that's sent in and we'll just see how long the pot is. And if it's seven hours, it's seven hours. That sounds like an off-season thing to do. That sounds like a fun thing in like February. Fun? Sounds like an interesting thing to try in February. But for now, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>